This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. So excited, Matthew Iglesias, co-founder of Vox, joining us on the phone from Washington, D.C., a new book, One Billion Americans, The Case for Thinking Bigger. Uh, Matthew, what a thrill. I'm really, really excited to talk to you. I mean, I have followed your writing, your podcasting for so long, like back to the money box days, I mean, and, and beyond. So uh, really, uh, been thank you. Floating I, I've been looking forward to this. So <laughs> yes. thanks so much for joining well, us. That's, that's incredibly kind of you to say. I'm really thrilled to be here. Um, so tell us about this book. This is a big idea. I love it. It's very big. It's very big. Uh, so look, uh, the United States, major world power, we've been probably the most prominent country in the world for 100 years now, the world's largest economy, the world's largest domestic market. Uh, but China is up and coming on us. Uh, they're in purchasing power parity terms. Their economy is bigger than ours. There's a lot of tensions. You know, you talk about TikTok. You can talk about PRC censorship of American movies. Um, and, you know, what do we want to do about this? And I think one obvious answer would be to go after the underlying source of Chinese strength, which is that they are such a large country we could seek to grow our own population domestically. And that's both by being more open to immigrants. We are privileged to be a country that tens of millions of people around the world want to move to. And also by doing more to support Americans who want to have children. Uh, We have on average about 1.7 children per woman, uh, but the average woman says she'd like to have about 2.6 children. Men, slightly lower preferences, but also People don't necessarily care what we think. Um, And we don't do very much financially to let people have uh, the family life that they aspire to. We do no child allowance, unlike most countries. In most jurisdictions, we don't provide for preschool. Uh, We don't do much to help kids out during the summertime. Right now, during COVID, in large swaths of the country, we're barely even running public schools. Uh, So the idea here is focus on those two pillars of strength. Support families who want to have kids. Support immigrants who want to come here grow the population, stay number one forever. Okay, that 0.7 child is my favorite. I'm just going to say that 2.7. Hey, listen, I'm one of seven kids. There were nine of us in our family. So we've done our part to get towards that 1 billion number. What's interesting is, though, and we talk about this a lot. Um, I mean, Jason, you know, has several kids. And I just think it's not easy to have big families anymore. You talk about policy changes. I mean, we really have to change things dramatically in order to make it possible. You know, there's a lot of stuff on the policy front that would have to change. I mean, some of that is money. Some of it is housing policy, right? Uh, If you live in coastal areas, it's just it's really hard to get a big house. We don't build enough here. Uh, And some of it, though, is the culture, right? As family sizes have shrunk, expectations have changed. And if we go back in the other direction to start having two, three kids, maybe four in some cases more commonly, you know, then you start to see businesses that more cater to to kind of family-friendly models, things like that. So, you know, we've gotten to a point of thinking of children as if they're like pets, right? It's this kind of very expensive consumption luxury that some people want to indulge in and other people don't. And I think fundamentally that's the wrong way to think about it. Having and raising children is an important social function. Not everybody has to do it, but the people who do want to do it should be really supported by the larger society. And so... Matthew, and we're going to talk more about this. I only got about a minute left in this segment, and then we're going to do some news and come back. But I, I guess the, the thing that I would say just to tee this up and, and give you a minute, and then we'll talk about it some more, is it's not going great, 
right now. Like, I mean, this is not a, a country uh, that you're like, hey, come on in. Like, things are going awesome. Like, be a part of this or like have more kids to be a part of it, not to be too cynical here. Yeah, I mean, it's true, you know, but it's paradoxical. On the one hand, this is a country that a lot of people still want to move to. Right? Yeah. We are investing incredible efforts, Trump is at least, in trying to keep people out. Uh, but we're having real problems, real political dysfunction that is undermining the strengths of America. And I think part of the way to get out of that atmosphere of dysfunction is to think about things that unite us as a country, right? Values that we have in common mm -hmm. that some uh, of our rivals internationally don't have. And, you know, what is a project that we can embark upon? Well, we still disagree about things. We could talk about, you know, what's the right way to design financial supports for families. But if we can say, as we did during the Cold War, as we did during World War II, that, look, there's something we all stand for, right? That points away toward a more functional politics. So, Matthew, we're going to move on, but I got to ask you, so what is the case for a bigger population here in the U.S.? Is it just a bigger consumer base, consumption base? What's, what's the thinking that... That's a game changer for the United States. You know, scale matters in international politics. It matters a lot, right? You look at a country like New Zealand, our friends up north, Canada. Those are nice countries. They've got high living standards. They don't really count for anything on the world stage the way the United States does. America's leaders, you know, from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln, uh, on through to the present day, have traditionally thought that, you know, America should be a beacon of freedom in the world and a bastion of liberal values throughout the world. And that means we need to grow as we have through the centuries, keep pace with the other countries out there. In economic terms, though, I think that growing our domestic market is also useful. We benefit from being the place, right? Entrepreneurs from all over the world, they know if you want to found like a great company, that this is a place to come, right? And so we want to let people come and keep doing that. But we also we want to grow, we want to maintain that status that you know, New York is not just a big city, it's the financial center of the world. San Francisco is the technology hub of the world. And that's because these big cities anchor a big country. Matthew, it's Canada calling, and they want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a bone to pick. All right, so, Matthew, we're going to use the five or six minutes we have left to just ask you, what the heck is going on in national politics right now? You're seeing all the headlines we're seeing. You're trying to break it down. You've got a great podcast. Um, how do you make sense of it? How do you get your head around it and, and separate the signal from the noise here? You know, look, uh, right now we're having a very tough debate about the Supreme Court. Uh, but the fact is, Republican senators, they have the votes to seat a conservative replacement for Justice Ginsburg. They have the votes to block a replacement for Justice Scalia. Uh, the frustration Democrats are dealing with is that the Senate is skewed. You know, Nate Silver, the smart uh, polling wonks, they say there's about a seven-point Republican bias in the Senate. And it lets them get away with stuff that, frankly, Democrats couldn't pull off. Nevertheless, there's actually a pretty good chance that Democrats will win a majority this November because Donald Trump is, is quite unpopular. So the interesting thing is, you know, if Democrats do manage to win, are they going to do anything, not just about the Supreme Court, but about the inequities that are sort of deeply embedded in our political institutions? Well, will any politician do <laughs> anything about what's deeply embedded in our institutions, right, Matthew? I mean... These problems that have come out because of the virus or what happened with George Floyd and, and others, unfortunately, you know, they're not new. 
No, they're not new. And, you know, of course, you know, nobody likes to see uh, when when protests turn into riots, things like that. Mm. At the same time, you know, you want to tell people, look, work on persuasion, go vote, you know, pursue your remedies through, through the legal process. And if you have a political system that's completely unresponsive to that, right, if people who live in cities don't have representation in Congress, if members of Congress just don't do anything, no matter what the public's level of concern is, you know, that's how you get into a situation of, of social disorder. And I don't defend everything that's happened on every side there, but you you need to show people that progress is being made on big national problems. And so far, I mean, it's really not happening. So, Matthew, I know we're meant to talk about your new book and we're celebrating it as we should. But, you know, I do think about in many ways how prescient your book, The Rent is Too Damn High, was in terms of what we have seen in this pandemic and how so much, as Carol alluded to, has been laid bare in terms of the inequalities. And so much of that, it feels like, is manifested in people's inability to just pay their bills. And we are debating that now, seemingly, around this question of, will there be more fiscal stimulus? We're going to hear from Secretary Mnuchin and Fed Chair Jay Powell tomorrow about this on Capitol Hill. Are there any reasonable, and by reasonable I mean things that maybe policymakers can agree on, remedies on that front at this point, given how clear it is that we have an issue here? You know, it's really tough. Republicans have been very intransigent about aid to state and local governments. Uh, The recent news that came in about tax revenue was actually pretty good. So it suggests maybe the need for aid is not quite as big as Democrats had thought it was. Uh, So if Republicans would say yes to a smaller number there, uh, Democrats would get what they want. Then money could go out to people, which, you know, Democrats have been fighting for. But also it seems like it would help Republicans at the election to get something done here. So, you know, I I, I never want to you never want to count on Congress doing anything. uh, But the stars do seem to be aligned in the sense that, you know, both parties will be better off if they can get something done. On the other hand, you know, the fighting about Justice Ginsburg's seat is (laughs) going to make Democrats really reluctant to do a deal now, more so than they were a week ago. So, Matthew, if there's one policy you could just do right now (laughs) that you think would have a really positive impact on the U.S., what would it be? You know, I think we should do uh, what Canada, who I was uh, knocking before, did <laughs> under under Justin Trudeau. Oh, thanks. Now you like them, huh? Start, <laughs> yeah, start giving money to parents of young children. Yeah. I think it's a great response to the emergency of the pandemic. This is a really tough time for parents, Mm. Uh, but it's good policy for the long term. There's no reason we should have such a high child poverty rate. Uh, We can do this. Like we saw in an earlier round of stimulus, the government cutting checks to people is is a very successful policy, you know, and people know what they need. And we could cut through a lot of the problems with bureaucracy and fighting about the government by just putting money in the hands of people who we know need a little extra. And that's parents raising young children. So All simple, right. but makes, really, makes really interesting. Uh, so glad you got to spend some time with us. And so glad we got to spend some time with you. Matthew Iglesias, co-founder of Vox. He joined us on the phone from D.C. So cool. His new book, One Billion Americans, The Case for Thinking Bigger. Check him out on Twitter at Matty Iglesias and check out the new book.